The sine qua non of dispensationalism is the belief that there are two peoples of God. In dispensationalism, there are two peoples of God. There are Jews who by use of the ceremonial, by use of their heredity, and by use of the ceremonial and sacrificial laws of the Old Testament are the people of God. And then there are uh, Gentiles who by use of faith alone are the people of God. As I said last week, this novel theology has taken American evangelicalism by storm. It's taken everyone, almost, except for us. We kind of like our theology to have an in in a historical pedigree. Uh, dispensationalism is really barely 100 years old. Nevertheless, if you ask a dispensationalist, you know, why a dispensationalism, he will no doubt turn to Romans 11 at some point in the discussion. It really is a primary text for the understanding that there are two people of God. And in light of that, I want to look at Romans 11. As we are looking at Romans 11, there's really a series. I have a series going here because we asked the same question last week, and I'm asking the same question this week. Who are the, God's people? Who are God's People From Romans 11, what, who are God's people? Now, in Reformed theology, there is only one people of God. One people of God because there is only one covenant of grace. But we do see distinction, and this is important, really important. We do see distinction in the administration of the covenant of grace. There is what we call the outward administration of the covenant of grace and the inward administration of the covenant of grace. And hopefully that becomes clear, that distinction in your mind as we look at our text. And it's important to recognize this because this is the distinction Paul is working with in Romans 11. And that distinction is really found in our immediate context. So if you have your Bibles open, you turn back just a couple of pages to Romans 9. You see in verse 6, Paul says, Ask this important question, has the word of God failed? No, the word of God has not failed. And why? And here is the distinction. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Kind of sounds like there are two Israels there in that text, does it not? It's because there is this distinction there between the nation who, by the flesh of Abraham share in the outward administration of the covenant. There's a hereditary blessing to being a Jew in the flesh. But there is more for the individual Jew. Notice I said the nation shares in the outward administration, but each particular individual Jew in the nation belongs to the inward administration of the covenant of grace if they are not only sharing the flesh of Abraham, but more importantly, sharing his faith. If they have the faith of Abraham, then that Jew is not only belonging to the external or the outward administration of the covenant of grace, they have the inward. They truly belong. You might have also heard of the visible-invisible church distinction. It's the same thing I'm dealing with, just different uh, nomenclature. So in Israel, there is the outward administration. Those who share the faith, there's a hereditary blessing there. And it's a temporal blessing. It's earthly. But then there is something greater. 
The faith of Abraham gives not only a hereditary, but a heavenly, a heavenly blessing and an eternal distinction. And it is to the latter. The latter belong to Israel. Look down at verse 7, chapter 9, verse 7. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Not all, are his, not all his natural born children, flesh of Abraham, are truly his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh, the outward administration, who are the children of God, but the children of the promise, those who have faith in the promise, that uh, internal administration are counted as offspring. So natural birth makes one Jewish. Supernatural birth makes one belong to Israel. Are you following? That's an important distinction. Outwardly, one has the sign of administration. For example, in the New Covenant, one can have the outward sign of inclusion into the covenant of grace. That's baptism. But not truly belong because they lack faith. Same in Israel. They might have had circumcision, but without the circumcision of the heart, they were only mere outward members of the covenant. You must have the sign, but you must also believe in the things signified. The washing of the blood and the spirit of Christ. So the flesh of Abraham who does not believe, uh, they are not the people of God per se. And so Paul is working with this distinction in Romans 11, where in our text we see God hardening, God hardening Israel... He hardens Israel. That's the immediate context. He hardens Israel, that outward administration, the nation, in order to save Israel. God hardens Israel to save Israel. See, verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. You see, Israel failed, the nation, but notice, individual Jews, the elect, obtained it. And there that elect he's dealing with are particular particularly Jews in context. The elect Jews, they are believers like you and me. The nation who had the flesh of Abraham were hardened, but believing Jews were transformed by grace. Verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant, and that is the Jewish remnant, there is a Jewish remnant chosen by grace. By grace. So the nation was hardened, hardened, my Texan's coming out there a little bit. Excuse me. I have to enunciate. Hardened, but believing Jews were transformed. The administration of the remnant, the inward administration is Jewish believers. And in our text, Paul explains how Israel, how this remnant are saved. Verse 11. So he says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. You see in this text, there are several people in this one text. There are they, <laughs> there are Gentiles, and there are jealous Israel. Now, if you focus in on the text a little closer, you'll see that they, there are actually two they. <laughs> they are they that stumbled, 
and they who have not really fallen. In context, this will make sense in a minute. So there are they who have stumbled. That's the nation who failed to obtain. Verse 7, they failed to obtain what it was seeking. The nation was seeking through the law, the Mosaic law, the Mosaic economy, through the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law and the principles and so forth. They were seeking salvation by right exercise of the law without Faith in Christ, to which all those principles, laws, and ceremonies pointed toward. They did not see Christ. They missed Christ in unbelief, and they stumbled. But some of them <laughs> believed. And we'll see that in a minute. That's the jealous Israel here. So unbelief in Christ filled Israel, so God hardened them, he says in verse 8, verse, or verse 7. In, in verse 8, he talks about the hardening. He gave them a spirit of stupor so that they began to think that they could please God apart from faith, which is mere foolishness. Without faith, it is impossible, what? To please God. So who are God's people? Who are God's people? Jews. Believing Jews. And here we find the second they. It is the they who have not fallen, but through jealousy have become Christians. You see, there remains in Israel, the fallen nation, the seed of grace. Verse 11, Paul says, So I ask that they stumble in order that they might fall by no means. You see, some have not fallen. Rather, through their trespass, their trespass is the nation. By the nation's fall, salvation has come to this third party, Gentiles. Now, Gentiles belong to God. Who are God's people? Gentiles. So God hardened the nations to make room for Gentiles. But notice, he has saved Gentiles in order to save Jews. So that to make Israel jealous. So he's, caused Gentiles to, he's called Gentiles to salvation to cause Israel jealousy. And this jealousy is the jealousy of, of salvation. He makes that clear in verse 14. He says, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. So he wants to make them jealous. Why? To save some of them. The idea being that the Jews will see the graciousness of our Father bringing, his, bringing the world into the church. They will see the, the, the Gentiles over flooding the church and the grace and the wonderful blessings of the gospel given to Gentiles. And the Jews will become jealous and they will want to in. They'll want in. They'll want to belong. They'll become Christians. They'll have faith in the Messiah. So God has hardened Gentiles to save Jews. And what we are beginning to see in this text, really, is we're beginning to see a grace greater than our sin. We're beginning to see a grace that can overcome the most fallen of situations. A grace that will uh, overcome even those who belong to a fallen people. You see, the Jews, as it were today, are really born behind the eight ball. Because they are born to a religion that is now hardened. A stupor religion. Stupid religion? Can I say that? Is that PC? That's what Paul says. It's a spirit of stupor. They're hardened. They have eyes. They cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They're dark, he says. They bend their backs away from God. And now the Jews born into that context are kind of behind the eight ball. 
But not all is lost. It is not lost there in that situation. And you really can find here God's grace in every situation, in any terrible situation. You find it historically in the church, the church that starts out and eventually loses you know, its first love. As we hear in the book of Revelation, and the candlestick is removed from them. They lose uh, the light of Christ, and the church becomes dark. It becomes fallen. But they're inside. May remain repentance. May remain faith. Where the word of God once dwelt, there's still the possibility, through the power of that word, and through the power of the gospel and grace, to draw back the people. To maybe even resurrect a church. And we find the truth here that there is grace that is greater for our sin. Greater than our sin. That, that grace that really calls the prodigal back to himself. The, the, the Christian who turns and apostatizes from the faith. But there God's grace never leaves them. It, 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 it comes, it follows, it tracks them down as it were. Eventually overtakes them and draws them back to the Father. And that is the hope we must have if we have children who seem to have walked from the faith and are going after the way of the world. We must trust that they belong to this, to this people of God through the outward administration. They have the signs. They've heard the word of God has dwelt within them richly that God would, would be drawing them back. And so we pray that this grace would overcome, overtake, and preserve them. And so the grace of God creates this people of God from all places and make sure they will never fall no matter how bad the situation. And so God's people, who are God's people? God's people are those who believe, who've been empowered and overcome by the grace of God. And that's these jealous Jews here in this context. They've been overcome. They want in. They believe. Now Paul says in verse 12, now, if their trespass, now that trespass, that's again the nation, the outward administration. If their trespass, if the nation's trespass means riches for the world, that means just Gentiles. We're the world here. So if, if the nation's trespass means riches for Gentiles all throughout the world, and if their failure, the failure again, the nation, if the nation's failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their, their full inclusion mean? Now, Paul is continuing to explain why God hardened Israel. He hardened Israel in order to save Israel. That's who their full inclusion is. You see, this outward people, spiritually poor. This outward nation, now spiritually poor. But their poverty has meant our Gentile prosperity. We're riches, riches for the Gentiles, spiritual prosperity. Believing Gentiles are now the people of God. Now, because there is a spiritual poverty and a spiritual prosperity does not mean that there are two peoples of God. God loves all his people equally. And the more salvation comes to all, especially to the Jews, will all prosper. How much more, he says... Will, how much more riches will there be? How much more prosperity will there be? Will there, will there be when they're, when, when they're full inclusion, when they, when they fully come in? Now, their full inclusion does not mean some future. He's not talking about the future and, and, and the whole being saved. 
If we, we have to remember we're in a context where not all of Israel are Israel. This full inclusion is the inclusion of predestination. This is God's elect. When the elect are fully come, how much better, how much spiritually prosperous will the church be? The more the elect Jews find Christ, the better, because believing Jews are God's people. Verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, he says. He's an apostle of the Gentiles. You know, he says it here. I'm an apostle of the Gentiles. I want to magnify my ministry to the Gentiles. He was glad to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He was overjoyed to be an apostle to the world in order that the gospel might go out to the world. And the more the gospel is spread, the more likely it is that Jews will become Christians as well. That's his point. In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. The gospel goes out to the end of the world to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. The more the word of God gains in the world, the more likely it is that Israel will prosper in that gain. They will prosper in faith. For, he says, verse 15, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And here in this one text, we really see the unity of God's people, both Jew and Gentile. Which we will see even clearer in a moment. But he's beginning to show that there is this unanimity of God's people. One people. They both share the same flesh in Adam. We grant that the Jews belong hereditarily blessed to Abraham in the flesh. But we must not also forget at the same time, they owe their same flesh to whom? They share the same flesh of Adam, like you and I, like you and I in Adam fallen, like you and I need a second Adam. We need that verse 15, that resurrection power, that power from the dead. You see, believers of all types, no matter your flesh, no matter your, your heredity, Believers are supernaturally and must be supernaturally born again in Christ. So he says, verse 16, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And now Paul is really beginning to show the unanimity which he explores even further in this natural law understanding of, the, of a tree and, and grafting and so forth. Verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Important verse. Some of the things we must recognize about this verse there are actually four people in this one verse. There are the branches that are broken off. That's the outward administration. They outwardly belong to the tree, but they didn't truly belong. So they're broken off. They're removed because they don't really belong to the root, per se. They were there externally, but they're broke. That's the nation. The nation of Israel is broken off from the tree. And then you, that's Gentiles, you're the wild olive shoots. These wild olive shoots that are growing out in the wild, they're collected. And then he grafts them back into the tree. Or not back in, rather, he grafts them into the tree for the first time. And then notice there's these among others. There's branches still in the tree. Those are those who share the hereditary blessing, Jews. 
but also the inward blessing. They have faith. They are true believers. That's the Israel of God. They belong to the root. They're there the whole time. Some broken off, Gentiles grafted in, but at the same time, Jews still belong to the people of God. And then there's one other person in this narrative, in this analogy. Among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. There's a root. And that root is the most important thing to recognize about this text. That root is the key to unlocking, to untying what appears to be a mystery. I don't believe it is a mystery. I think it's very clear. But that root, that root is, is Abraham. Abraham's the root. He's the father of the faith. You see, Abraham is key to understanding this chapter. And Paul uses Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant to unlock not only this text, but all of the scripture. He is the figure, according to scripture, who unites Jew and Gentile together. Listen, Galatians 3, 7. Know then, Paul says, he commands you as a Christian. This is an imperative. And it's a very strong imperative. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You see, there's this outward administration. They have this hereditary ownership of Abraham, but they're not truly children of Abraham. That's Romans 9 as well. It is those of faith. Those who believe the outward, they see the outward signs, but they know that the signs signify a greater heavenly reality, Christ. And it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So Abraham is the father of faith. He is the root of the church. Abraham's the root. You get that, you get this text, and it becomes very clear. Now, there's another important truth here you must recognize. Another important truth. How many trees are there in this text? There is one olive tree. In other words, the church is one living Organism, not two, one living organism. For Jew and Gentile, salvation is the same. There are not two people of God. There's one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Savior, one gospel, one confession, one Christ by grace, who through faith alone creates this holy Catholic church. Listen to Paul, Romans 3, 29. Romans 3, 29. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Why? Because God is one. And God will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by what? Faith. Faith. One olive tree. One people of God. One salvation. All with the same hope of heaven. And so whoever divides the people, if you divide the people here in this text, you are really wrongly dividing the word of God. 
Now, it is also important to recognize that there's not only one tree, but it is also very important and equally important to recognize that the tree is what? It's Jewish. It's a Jewish tree. You Gentiles belong to a Jewish faith. The Abrahamic root means that it belongs to Israel. And so you Gentile Christians can't have pride now because there's more of you. Apparently in Rome, there were more Gentiles, obviously, in the church. Probably only a handful of Jews. And the Gentiles were becoming arrogant. Hey, there's more of us. We're better. God got rid of the Jews because, you know, they're a terrible people. But us Gentiles were great. But he's saying no. You cannot have this kind of spiritual pride. Verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Don't be arrogant toward the Jews. If you are, if you are, remember, it is not you who support the root. You don't support it. God didn't break off, God didn't create a Jewish, a Jewish tree and then a Gentile tree. He didn't make the tree Gentile. The root is still Abraham. He said, but the root that supports you, Abraham supports you. It's the Abrahamic covenant. We share the Abrahamic faith. We share the same faith of Abraham. We are in the Abrahamic covenant. It's not as if we have our own special tree. It's not as if the trees become Gentile. Verse 19, then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. I can just hear, you know, in that question, you know, they were broken off because they weren't any good. You know, we're better. So they, you know, no, it's not. They weren't removed because Gentiles were better. The Jews weren't removed because America or some situation or any situation like that. Why were they removed? Verse 20. That is true. They were removed. They were broken off. Why? Because of their unbelief. Unbelief. Lack of faith has destroyed, destroyed the nation. But you stand fast through faith. Faith is a gift of God that no one can boast. No one can boast. And the worthiness of God's people is found only in God. Which faith is a gift of from God. So do not become proud. Don't become proud. Fear, he says. Fear. And then with this fear, Paul introduces now here a warning. And what you must recognize, this warning doesn't mean that we need to become Arminian now. It means you're going to lose your faith. This warning is toward those in the church in Rome, baptized members in Rome, who are only outwardly belonging to the church. There is in every church the possibility that not, that not all in the church belong to God. There are hypocrites and so forth. There are, false, there are false professions of faith. They're, they have the outward administration baptized. But inwardly, they lack faith. And so Paul often issues these warnings. And that's what this warning, it's a warning to these people. Verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he broke them off. They were outwardly belonging to Abraham, but inwardly they didn't believe. God broke them off. Neither will he spare you. Those who look to the outward administration only. Hey, I'm baptized. Or I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. I'm good to go. Or I'm baptized. I'm Southern Baptist. That's what we used to say to the Church of Christ friends in uh, Texas. I'm American. I go to church. I never miss church. Most of my clothes, I wear mostly just Christian t-shirts. 
I only listen to Christian music. I go to Christian school. There's a warning here. The outward administration does not save. That's the warning. The outward administration. Baptism doesn't save. The Lord's Supper doesn't save. Not the sign. Not the outward sign. Things signified. Verse 22. Note then the kindness, he says, and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen. Severity towards those who are in the church but don't believe. But God's kindness to you. What kind of kindness? Why kindness? Provided you continue in his kindness. Provided you continue to believe. Otherwise you too will be cut off. Paul is basically saying here a very important truth. Do not trust yourself. Don't look to yourself for salvation. Don't look through the fact that you've gone through rites. I've done these rites. I've done these things. I belong to a Christian home. My grandparents were my my grandfather was a minister. I've heard that before of people who aren't in the church anymore and they don't seem to be walking the faith. Well, you know, I'm a good person. I have an uncle who's a, a pastor. <laughs> he used to do street evangelism. I get stuff like that all the time. How do you know you're gonna? How do you know you're saved? Well, you know, I'm a good person. I, you know, I have an I have an uncle. He's a pastor. <laughs> Your heredity, your hereditary blessing there does not follow, friend. And it's the same to the Jew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So on and so forth. Paul says, I count that all rubbish. That I mean something greater. Not the sign, but the thing signified. The goodness of the goodness of the Lord here, this kindness, this goodness that we must persevere in is in Christ Jesus. And it's faith, even if they, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Whether Jew or Gentile, this is the verse for all who have walked away from the faith. All who have walked away from the external outward administration. God has the power to track you down. God has the power to bring you back. God has the power to work in you faith. Because we are saved by faith and faith alone. And God has the power to build and to increase and, and continue to pour out his grace upon all who have had that word of God. Who have had that outward administration. Because there are blessings of belonging to the outward administration. And it is through those blessings that God can call his people. By grace, through faith, working through these means. We are saved. All of God's people are the people of faith. 4, verse 24. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and you were grafted in, contrary to nature, you didn't belong, you don't belong, but you're here, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural, they belong, be grafted back into their own olive tree? There's a very important, subtle importance here. There's an importance here that you might not see, but that's why I'm here. To make everything clear. The olive tree is Jewish. Do you notice that? The olive tree is Jewish. Their own olive tree. Notice that if they don't continue in unbelief, if they believe, they're going to come back into their own olive tree. Who also belongs to their own olive tree? Who belongs to this tree? Also Gentiles belong to this tree. 
And so you notice here not only the necessity of faith, not only the necessity of faith, you must belong to the olive tree, but you must see also here the necessity of Abraham and the necessity of Abraham's faith. Back into their own olive tree. One tree, one faith. And here's the subtle importance. One repeated application of the outward administration of grace. Are you following me? The Abrahamic covenant had a hereditary application of the covenant of grace, which Genesis 17 says is an forever application, a forever administration. It belongs to parents. As parents are engrafted into the tree by faith, so also their children must be engrafted into the outward administration of that holy root. Therefore, by this principle, the grace of God extends, the grace of the covenant extends to their children. And so Paul simply assumes here, he simply assumes that Gentiles will be engrafted into the same ongoing principle of covenantal polity that existed in Abraham. And Paul confirms this elsewhere, particularly in 1 Corinthians 7. In 1 Corinthians 7, there the apostle teaches that, that even if one parent is believing, he calls that one believing parent in a marriage, that one believing parent, he says, they are holy. And they're holy. And then even if the other parent is profane, that is, he's an unbeliever. So you have one believing parent, one unbelieving parent. The holiness of the believing parent overcomes the profanity of the unbelieving parent so that their children are now holy. They belong to the root. They belong to the Abrahamic covenant. And so we apply the covenantal blessing. And we also apply the covenantal blessing of the fifth commandment to our children, do we not? The children of Christian parents. Paul indicates that they are not merely under the call to enter the covenant. The fifth commandment doesn't say, hey, parents, you know, make them members of the covenant one day. He says, no, they are in the holy covenant. And they are consigned, your children right now are consigned to the blessings and the curses of the covenant of grace. The blessings, what? Prosperous. Not in the land. In the new covenant, it becomes prosperous in the world. The new heavens and the new earth. Or be covenantal breakers, children. And receive the curses of the covenant. So here's the point, children. Here's where you have to listen to my sermon now. Because I'm talking to you. You were baptized. Do you know what that means? That means you belong to God. Do you know what that means? That means you must believe. You must have faith in Christ. If you do, God will be kind to you. And he will love you and care for you. If you do not, you will receive the severity of God. What does every sin deserve? The wrath and curse of God. 
we must believe. And you are commanded, children. And parents, this means you are commanded to raise your children in the faith. You have no other right, no other choice. It also means that we are in Missoula. We're the chosen nation. We're the royal priesthood. We're the people of God's possession. Does that sound Jewish? You are the Israel of God. That's Galatians 6. You can take it to the bank. We are the people of God. One olive tree. Who are the people of God? Believers are the people of God. We share the same faith of Abraham. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.